early this morning, at the crack of dawn, um, uh, early this morning, I went down to the Valley Market and I got two dozen donuts and four like things of strawberries. What would you call the little, the little cartons? Four things of strawberries, which will be eaten, Lord willing, after I wrap up Sunday school. And so Nicole has been in charge of displaying them in a delectable way. And um, so when I wrap up, she'll go get those. I didn't want them available to plain sight to let little children's fingers get in them. I wanted adults to have the first crack at them. And then, uh, and then you know, because it's like on the airplane when they say, put the mask over your own face first and then give it to your child. <laughs> That's how we'll do this with donuts. Okay, so uh, we're going to have a little longer time between Sunday school and worship. So, uh, so I wanted to have a little extra... Uh, food for uh, our fellowship. So we'll do that. And, uh, but, so uh, I am calling us to order here a little sooner than we normally would. And I'm going to tell you to hold off turning in your Bibles very quickly. I'd like to start with uh, a meditation, okay? I've got a question for everybody. And there's no wrong answer. There's no wrong answer. There's only right answers. So, uh, so you just pipe right up. I have a question for you. As you've read through the Gospels and you've seen all the miracles that Jesus did, What's the one you wish you could have been there to see with your own eyes? What's the one you wish you could have seen with your own eyes? Of all the miracles he did, what's the one you're like, man, I wish I could have seen that one? Well, 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 you've got to raise your hand, Emma. I mean, come on. This isn't Greenville. All right. (laughs) Emma, walking on water. That's a big one. Okay, Uh, who said that's the first one that came to my mind? Walking on water. Anybody? Just Emma. Okay. Just Emma. Yes, over here. Multiplying the fish. Oh, yeah, the, the miracle of the fish and bread. Okay? Or what, did you mean that one or when they caught the fish? Anything. Okay. Okay, anything to do with fish. Yes, Elaine. Calming the sea. Oh, yes, that's cool. That's, that would have been something to behold. Yes, Sebastian. Gotcha. That would have been wonderful. Yes. Yes. It, sa- it says that he, um, when he walked to the tomb, that he got angry. There was a, a visible trauma in the soul of Jesus after he wept. Others. Others. These are all very good. Again, no wrong answers, only right answers. Yes, in the back. Yes, that's a favorite one of mine. The, the boys just came and ripped the roof off, and they lowered him down, and... and uh, yeah, that's cool. Others, anybody else? I saw a hand over here. Did yours get mentioned? Yes, yours got mentioned. Okay. Yes. The, the, when the Jews interviewed him and he like got smart with them, you know. <laughs> who told you? Who told you to pick up your bed? Well, who told you? What was it? What did they say? Who? They said something. Well, the guy who made me, who gave me eyesight, told me to do it. Do you want to follow him too? okay all right well here's a bit of a surprise okay here's a bit of a surprise did you know that if we gathered if we gathered the 12 apostles and asked them hey guys which miracle should we have wanted to see firsthand you know if we were to put them to that question and more in terms of what's the one that you would have had to see or as you guys get together and you talk 
what's the miracle that keeps coming up over and over again? Okay? And without question, obviously the resurrection would be first, but the next one down. Okay? The next one down from that, without question, is the feeding of the 5,000. Okay? It's the only miracle that all the gospel writers talk about. And John spends a huge chunk of his book discussing the miracle of feeding the 5,000. And there's reasons for that. So let's go to John chapter 6. And what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a bit of a running commentary of the passage as we read through it. Okay? Offer you a few little tidbits, snatches into it. And then what we're going to do is we're going to unfold some of the reasons that the apostles would think first of this miracle. Now, I think, I'm going to confess, that would not have been the one that came to my mind first. If you said, which is the one they would have identified as the most special, other than the resurrection, I probably would have said walking on water. Okay? Um, This is the one that they came up with. Okay? And the reason for that is as they thought about it afterwards, all these different layers kept coming to their mind. There's all these different layers to this miracle that color it and shade it. Also, we have to understand this was the miracle that had the longest duration. After Jesus got done distributing all of the bread and the fish, it said they had 12 large baskets left over. Now let us pretend I gave to you loaves of bread and fish, and it was your job simply with no supply issues, simply to fill 12 large baskets going like this. How long do you think that would take you? Imagine a tiny hunk going in, tiny hunk going It would take you a couple of hours, I would assume, to fill 12 giant baskets. So this is a miracle that took place over hours and hours. Okay? And every time they came back, every time they came back, every time they came back over the course of three or four hours, there was more and more and more. And so for these reasons, for the layers of it, For the duration of it, this is one that was really important to them. John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Again, I'm going to stop there. We're just going to give a running commentary as we go, just so we can fill in the gaps, and then we'll talk about these layers. The other side of the Sea of Galilee is the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. There was a major city on the west side, which was called Tiberias, a major town, and the eastern side was the less populated side. It's the side that you may have heard of throughout the years of Arab-Israeli conflicts. This is the Golan Heights region. And you can, it's called the Golan Heights because the Sea of Galilee is way below sea level. It's actually just a big ditch. And when you look up, you're looking up these steep cliffs, but you're actually looking more up to dead sea level. So you're looking at the top of the hole down into the bottom of the hole. And that's where Jesus is. He's likely looking up, sitting up, and he looks, can look across the entire vista of the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these people walking around the lake to meet him. It says that they're opposite the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him. He could, of course, see. It says it's 5,000 men, so there's at least 15,000 people, a huge gathering of people Matthew and Mark tell us that this is a deserted place. Don't think of desert as in like sand dunes. This is more like the desert desert like out at Flaming Gorge. There's just nothing. Uh, Lots of of wasteland 
area. It says, a large crowd was following because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover of the Feast of the Jews was at hand. That's an important detail. John says that Jesus ministered through three Passovers. The first one was back in John chapter 2. The third one is the Passover of his crucifixion. So this is the second one. So how far are we away from Jesus' death? He's a year out, and his ministry, we know, was about three years long. So he's about two-thirds of the way through his earthly ministry. Okay, He's been ministering, healing, doing all these things for about two years, and he's got about a year left. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? Now we're told in Matthew and Mark and Luke that this conversation took place a little bit later. Jesus is sort of, uh, John rather, is compressing the dialogue and these people came across and then Jesus spent all day teaching them. Now why was there such a large crowd of people coming out to Jesus. Well, of course, there was the factor that Jesus was healing the sick and so forth. But Jesus had done that for a long time. And we hadn't quite seen those crowds yet. But if you were to go to Matthew chapter 14 and read this miracle there, you would notice that in the exact preceding passage, the very day before, quite publicly, Herod had beheaded John the Baptist. It's impossible to convey to modern readers how popular and imminent a figure John the Baptist was in Israel. Many people thought he was the Messiah. In fact, followers of John the Baptist had a hard time following Jesus because of their respect and admiration for this man. The entire nation was going out listening to this man preach, listening to this man prepare the way of Jesus, and now he's dead. His head has been cut off by a brutal, barbaric woman. The nation now knows, and they have no more prophetic voice to turn to. And so in grief and sorrow, desperation, Passover is upon them, they're not quite sure what to do, they hear that there is a new teacher, a new miracle worker, as it were. And he's over by the Golan Heights on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and so they go out to hear him. Jesus teaches them. We're told in Mark that he's filled with compassion. So he asks Philip here in our passage, verse 5, where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him. Philip was a fella. He, he speaks a few times in the Gospels. And I think I've noted before, Philip is kind of one of these guys that can do quick math. Okay? He, he knows the cost of things. These guys are handy to have around. They, they don't need a calculator. They do it in their head, all right? And Philip just quick does the math, and he says, eight months of personal salary would be sufficient only for them to have a bite. Furthermore, we're in a desolate place. Even if we had that kind of money, that doesn't mean there would be supply. 
We would send these people to the towns and they would buy the towns out of bread. There wouldn't be sufficient for all these people to eat. One of the disciples, verse 8, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Now, it says here in our translation, loaves, and I guess loaf would be a good technical term for it. I think a better translation, better understanding, you have to keep in mind the ESV is writing for a broad English-speaking group of people, and Loaf means something different in Europe than it does here. What if I told you there were, there were five cakes? What would then come to your mind? Show me with your hand what you think the size of a cake might be. Okay, Emma says this. Danielle says this. Anybody else? Okay, what if I said muffin? Okay. <laughs> or a cornbread muffin. You would go like like this, right? That, that's probably more like it. Okay, Little round discs. These were very popular. They were also the food of peasants. Uh, this is quite well documented by ancient writers. Um, wealthier people ate breads of different grains and the barley loaves were reserved for poor people. And they had little baking tins and they would make these little cakes and they'd have a little hollow spot in the middle. When it says two fish, what's probably referred to is a very common peasant dish. They would take two small little fish and they would uh, pickle them, uh, brine them, and kind of cut them up into relish. And you would, you would have two fish worth of relish. And you would put it onto your barley cake and you can see now how that would be a nice lunch for somebody. You get what you need. That's almost certainly what happened. There was a boy who brought his lunch. It was five little, what should we say? What word do you want to use to describe this? Muffins, cakes, little muffins. Okay, we'll go with muffin, barley muffins. Two fish. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down. Jesus didn't have them sit down, of course, on the sandy ground, they were about to have a picnic. So there's about 5,000 men in number. Okay, A man is a young man over the age of 20 or so. So if you're a man in here over the age of 20, raise your hand. Okay, We've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. 17, and there's about 50 people in this room. So what's that ratio? Third, so multiply this. Let's, let's take ours as just a case study. But we got all our kids downstairs. Okay, so you could multiply this times three or four probably. So you're looking at 20, 15, 20,000 people. That's enough to fill any arena in the United States of America. Okay. It's a big group of people, 15, 20,000 people. And Jesus has them all sit down. Jesus then took the loaves and... When he had given thanks, he started distributing them to those who were seated. So also the fish. Now, the gospel writers, remember there's four different accounts to this story. The gospel writers mention different details. Each one mentions a little different detail. Matthew, for example, 
temple emphasizes the amount of food that was left over. Okay? He was just flabbergasted at the 12 baskets. Couldn't believe it. John here, his emphasis is actually this little phrase at the end of verse 11. You might want to underline it or write down. This is John's point. It's as much as every person wanted. As much as they wanted. They ate until they were totally full. They ate until they were completely satisfied. I mean, this wasn't like, a, like, a, like a, the church potluck we had last week, where you really wanted that, that extra little thing, but when you went there, there was about one serving left, and you didn't want to be the person to take the last serving of that really good thing, so maybe you just took a tiny little bit. They got everything they wanted. They ate to their fill. And when they had eaten their fill, notice that these two phrases go back to back. That's John's emphasis, is that they ate until they were stuffed. They were totally satisfied. He told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. That's their conclusion. This is the prophet that's come into the world. And that is where we begin our many layers to this miracle. We've got, I have here, four layers to this miracle. The first layer is a historical layer. There is a historical layer to this miracle that we need to keep in mind. I've already talked to you about the two of them. There's the, this is the second Passover of Jesus' life. The third Passover, he will lose his life. There is also the previous mention in Matthew chapter 14, 1 through 12, of John the Baptist being the prophet who has been slaughtered. He's been beheaded. And what we see here is that historically placed in the life of Jesus, this is the kickoff to a really turbulent final year of his life. One would think that this miracle would bring peace and kindness and goodwill between him and the people, but quite the opposite is true. Later, as John records, Jesus has a long conversation with the Jews because he says, I'm the bread of life. And they start leaving one after the other. He chases them all away. It says in Matthew and Mark that he dismissed the crowds. Well, he dismissed the crowds by saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in my kingdom. And they left. He dismissed them with the scandal of his coming crucifixion, which was just a year away. And mark this time, moving forward, Jesus is on a collision course with the cross. He begins talking about it more frequently. He begins predicting it more often. Even his disciples are resisting that this is the total of his mission. That historically speaking, this is the moment where Jesus begins to charge toward the cross. John the Baptist has been beheaded. There's no more forerunner. The forerunner has done his work, paved the way. The stage is now set. The next time the lamb is slain, it will be the true lamb. It will be the lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. The stage is set. There's a biblical layer. Okay, this is our second layer. There's a biblical layer. There are three passages I think you should write down. In fact, 
I'd like you to turn to them. And if you turn in your pew Bible, if you get to the page, and just shout out the page number so that if somebody else has the pew Bible, they can just get there with you. The first comes in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. Does anybody remember what was happening there? Moses had led the nation out of Egypt. He brought them out of the land. Page 57 in your pew Bible. He brought them out of the land and they didn't have any food. They're saying, would that we would have died in the hand, uh, that we would have died by the hand of the Lord, by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Think of that accusation that they're leveling at the Lord. You brought us out here to kill us. In another passage, they say, were there not sufficient graves in Egypt for us? The suspicion and animosity and accusation of the Lord that they're making is profound. And in verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. God says, I'm going to start pouring down rain, bread from heaven. Now, this was on the disciples' mind, or this was on the Jews' mind, actually. When Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, they thought of the manna. And Jesus corrects their theology in John 6. He says, by the way, it wasn't Moses that brought you the bread. It was the Lord that brought you the bread. And his point is that there is a prophet here now, according to Deuteronomy 18, who is greater than Moses. In fact, this is the Lord who has come. This is the prophet. Remember, that was the response of the people. Is this the prophet? And Jesus is saying, yes, more than the prophet is here. The Lord is here. I'm the one who rained bread down. I'm the Lord who brought the bread to the Israelites. I'm the one who gave bread to you. I am the very bread of life wasn't Moses who brought it. It wasn't a mere prophet. It was the Lord. This is Jesus taking claim to that name. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. This is a miracle that we kind of just skip over. We hit it this week in our Bible reading, actually, if you're following along with our church Bible reading. Elisha does so many miracles, we kind of just skip right over them. We lose track of them. There's so many. 309, page 309, if you want the number. 2 Kings chapter 42, verses 4 through... Yeah, 2 Kings, 2 Kings 4, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 42. A man from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits. This is Elijah. A man brings Elisha first fruit bread, 20 loaves of barley. Why do you think John made note that there was barley in that bread? Well, the same reason he's he's tapping into 2 Kings chapter 4. He brought him barley loaves and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat, for thus says the Lord, they shall eat 
and have some left. So he said it before them. And they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Who said to give these 5,000 men bread? Who said it? Jesus. Who said there was 12 baskets? Who, who ordained there would be left over? Well, it was Jesus. In 2 Kings 4, who said it and ordained it? The Lord. So what's the point that John's making? Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the I Am. Jesus is the self-existent one who, through the ministry of Elisha, fed a hundred men with a few cakes of barley bread. And now he feeds 5,000 men. There is a prophet that is greater than Moses. There is a prophet that is greater than Elijah or Elisha. There is, keep in mind, the Jews thought that John the Baptist might be Elijah reincarnated. He was in Elijah form. This was John's way of saying that Jesus is superior to Elijah, to Elisha, to John the Baptist. This is, in fact, the Lord. Now, last passage to turn to. We need to turn to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. This is a very important passage to turn to. In fact, it might even be more important than the two previous ones we've just mentioned. Jeremiah 31, 658 in your pew Bible. Jeremiah 31. I want you to go to verse 31, and then we're going to go backward a little bit. Okay? Just so we know where this passage is located, in chapter 31... Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. And he goes on to describe what this new covenant is going to be. Also, everything before in this chapter is describing the days in which this new covenant will be established. The Lord is going to bring a new covenant. Not like the one he cut before, but a new one. What will the time be like when the Lord makes this new covenant with his people? Go to verse 14. Go to verse 14 of Jeremiah 31. I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Jesus, when he serves... The meal says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And he was just talking to the people in John 6 that you will have to feast on the bread of life if you want to take part in this new covenant. And as the scripture writers thought about Jesus, the institutor of this new covenant, and how he allowed the people to feast on his huge supply. This is the day in which the Lord will make a new covenant with us. Do you see that this miracle foreshadowed the new covenant which would come 
just a year later. You see that now? It's pretty amazing. There's a third layer. We will have to run like the wind to get through our third and fourth layer, so hang on. There's a Christological layer. I don't know what else to call this. Um, you can call it the Christ layer. If you come up with a better layer, you let me know a better way to title this one, and I'll, I'll insert it into my notes here. Um, I'm calling it the Christological layer. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, the Spirit leads Jesus away into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and he goes without food or water for 40 days and 40 nights. And the devil comes to him and says something very tricky. He says, just turn these stones into bread and you will prove that you are the Messiah. Now, it's a very hard thing for a man when challenged on something that he genuinely is to hold back. Let me give a, a very small example. Uh, this is a few years ago. Um, I was out at the driving range at Wolf Creek Golf Resort, and I was ineffectually hitting golf balls. And there was a lady, she was standing next to me, and she asked me what I did for a living, and I said, well, I'm a pastor. And she said, well, I, would you mind if I asked you some questions? And I said, sure, I'm not hitting these golf balls any good. I may as well counsel. Um, <laughs> And so she had some family stuff going on and just asked what my opinion was. And we sat down and I talked her through what I would have said. And her husband came up and she said, hey, this is Greg. He's a pastor. And my husband is the coach of Weber State University's golf team. And you need to give him a lesson. He gave me some counseling. And I said, no, no, I don't, I don't need a lesson. He goes, no, 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 you, you helped us. I'll help you. I was like, okay. And he said, uh, he said, all right, let me, let me see you swing a couple times. And so I swung a couple times. And he said, okay, I want, you to, I want you to turn your hand like this. And I said, okay. And he goes, now you have to swing as hard as you absolutely can. And I've never on a golf course swung absolutely as hard as I could. And I said, okay. So I rear back and I swung as hard as I could. And I kid you not, I hit the greatest golf shot I have ever hit in my life, okay? The ball just took off on this beautiful line, little baby draw. It was amazing. And I looked at him. I was holding a six iron. And I said, that's a PGA Tour six iron. <laughs> and he looked at his wife and he said, I told you I'm good at what I do. <laughs> and I said, yes, you are. And I never successfully hit a ball like that again. So he is good at what he does. Well, here is the devil coming to Jesus and saying, prove it. Prove it. Now as men, how hard would that be to back down from? Especially when you're hungry. Wouldn't you have loved just to squish the devil in his place right there? But our Savior says, he quotes Deuteronomy 8, 3, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Life isn't about bread, Satan. It's about obeying the Lord. And Jesus' life, his life, is about following the word, following the command of the Father, 
he's showing us with this bread that he multiplied that there's something so much greater than bread. And it's what God wants. It's the will of God. Furthermore, we're told in John 1, verses 1 through 3, that Jesus is the word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. So if we were to put those two passages together, man, man does not live by bread alone, but by the word. Our life substance is not about us or our substance or our things or our food or our material. The sum and substance of the believer's life is about Christ and him and his word and following him. And that is so much more important than any material thing we could have ever had. This is what Jesus is getting at in that Christological layer. Now, we've got our applicational layer. Okay, this is our last layer. Receiving Jesus, receiving the bread that comes from the mouth of the Father, this is the sum and substance of the life of faith. And I want you to know that receiving Jesus, the bread of life that comes from the Father, receiving Him is a struggle that comes to believers and to unbelievers alike. When the unbelievers heard this message, I am the bread of life, they walked away. And it wasn't but a few months later the disciples had forgot to bring bread. They're arguing with each other over who forgot to bring the bread. And Jesus says, have you forgotten already the lesson of the 5,000 people that were fed or the lesson of the 4,000 people that were fed? In fact, just a short time later, Jesus performs almost an identical miracle and the disciples don't get it. They miss it because... They miss it because they're not seeing Jesus as the great provider of all things. And doesn't this just tap, doesn't this just tap all of the suspicion that we have toward Jesus? You walk with the Lord for 30 years and you see Jesus come through for you time and time and time and time and time again. And you save the little notes. You save the little prayer requests that have been answered. You keep them all. And the next time a trial comes, I kid you not, how many of you have had this experience? It's like none of those ever happened. And we go, Where, where's the next thing coming from? And we forget the lesson of Jesus taking the bread and the fish and putting it down and taking it and putting it down and taking it and putting it down. And for hours on end, Every time his disciples come back, there is more. And don't you wonder how many times they came back before they realized there's always going to be more. How many return trips did they have to take thinking, is this the time the food runs out? Well, it wasn't until everybody was and then the food didn't run out Jesus just stopped guys when we receive from Jesus we don't impoverish him 
if one of you were to come and ask me for $100, I would gladly give it to you. I would, I'd happily give it to you. But you would also be realizing that I would be $100 poorer. Not so with Jesus. He is an everlasting fount. In fact, the more he gives, the more glorified he becomes. Not in the sense of growing, but in the sense of being magnified in our eyes. A major part of this miracle is the overwhelming sufficiency and supply of Jesus. Now, again, we have one minute, so bear with me. The rest of the New Testament goes on to explain the character qualities that should result of a soul that's convinced that Jesus will supply you. Jesus supplied a salvation that you can't possibly get for yourself. Everything else is chump change. And that should work in us gratitude. That should work in us a generosity toward others that's bold. Because we know the supply. We know the fount that can come our way. That should work in us a big-hearted mercy, a settled rest, biblical satisfaction and contentment. There ought never be mentioned among Christians grouchy, miserly souls. Because when they get that way, they've forgotten the great supplier of our good. So let's meditate this week on the miracle of the five fish, five loaves and two fish that fed 15, 20,000 people and will supply every need you have. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Work in us gratitude and generosity and mercy, rest and contentment because we met with the bread of life. We've met with the Lord who rains down bread from heaven and even gives his own, his own body for us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, we have treats. So please go out and get them and enjoy. Uh, we'll start our worship uh, right at 11 uh, with a baptismal. So, uh, yeah, have fun. Enjoy. Enjoy.